Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm going to mix things up today. All right, all right. And I, I'm not going to ask a question. Oh. Or I could, but it would be a very, we would be having to act because we actually already discussed this in depth. Okay. But um, we recently learned, Samantha and I, both lovers of horror movies, we love very different types of horror movies. That's true. That's true. So today we're talking about a specific genre. Would you say, what is your favorite genre of horror movie? So I guess it is a question after all. Right. So I think (laughs) my favorite, and I've told you this, I do love haunting movies and possession movies. So things like mm. Insidious is up in my uh, likes and uh, one of my favorite ones, I guess. I like, mm-hmm. let's see, I just recently watched Paranormal Activity. Those are newer to <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. Those are newer to me. So I love those. I watched the trilogy <laughs> and I did not realize they were all interconnected because I think I watched one of the really newer ones that aren't. Yeah, there's like 15. Yeah. Um, so I, I like those. I do like the pop scares and I'm like, oh, things are happening. What's happening? Kind yeah. of unknown, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of silly to me. So I do love mm-hmm. like the insidious. I do like when uh, John Woo stuff typically, except mm-hmm. he also expands to like 10,000 different movies, but I don't love slasher yeah. movies. That's probably one of my least favorites. And I do love mm-hmm. the psychological thrillers like The Strangers. Like That stuff mm-hmm. freaks me out, but I do love it. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I love supernatural horror movies. And I love, I mean, my my favorite horror movie of all time is The Exorcist, mm-hmm. which I find interesting because mm-hmm. I'm not religious at all. But I think those tropes, like we can all connect with those things. Right. Um, and then I, I do like found footage. And I actually have a list. I made a list during quarantine of when people ask me like, what movie should I watch? And I have... This list I've just been sending out, and there's a section on horror, and I was looking through it, and I apparently also like just weird, yeah. like really strange, like time travel horror movies, or um, I like trying to figure out the puzzle right. of like, ooh, well, oh, how did this happen, and when did this happen, and it might not even make sense, and I just like it. Um, yeah, I like I like a strange, <laughs> I like a strange time travel horror movie, or just something really visually interesting, right? that I haven't seen. Um, but the, what we're talking about today, like I haven't seen a lot of what you have, Samantha, when it comes to psychological thrillers or what we're talking about today, which is uh, a whole trope that I didn't even know existed. I, I certainly like realized it was a thing. I just didn't know it had a name to it. Right. I think um, when I discovered the name, I sent you a text and you were like, oh God. Like we both were like, this is the name of the trope. When knowing that it existed, mm-hmm. but we didn't know what yeah, the title was. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, to keep up with our love of Halloween uh, in this month of October, uh, we wanted to talk about the horror movie trope of Psycho Bitch Girl. Right, Psycho Bitch Girl, Crazy Bitch Girl, uh, Crazy Woman, like any of those. Yeah. But specifically, Psycho Bitch Girl. And um, trigger warning, this is definitely just a look at the trope and the stereotypes. And a lot of the conversation is going to be around dated movies that have not yeah. aged well. So we'll go ahead and put that as a yeah. big caveat. A lot of this, if you look back on, you're like, holy crap, what were they thinking? Um, yeah. We will mention, but don't get into it too much, uh, about assault, death, and mental health issues. So yeah. I know you and I actually talked about that fact that possibly you don't watch any of these because it is heavily reliant 
on those types of tropes and those types of stereotypes. And it can be triggering mm-hmm. for a lot of people, uh, especially yeah. I know when we talked about, and we'll talk a little more about revenge films, it has to have some kind of mm-hmm. big traumatic beginning in order yeah. to like push the story forward. So it kind of does that same thing. And it's, yeah, it gets, it gets in there. So we're going to talk a little bit about those yeah. movies, just a heads up. Yeah, and also just a heads up, like as the trope's name should tell you, a lot of this is offensive in multiple ways. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, but and we're definitely going to talk about that more. But I want to go ahead and say right. it right Don't get mad at us for the we title. We're not saying we approve of it. It's just, it is no, what it is. No, <laughs> it was. It was, as you would say. <laughs> as I say. Um, so if we look at movies like Fatal Attraction, Gone Girl, or The Audition, there is a perpetual idea that women, especially exes, um, are crazy, of course. And again, like we know, I know it's uh, not PC to use that word, but this is like the trope. Right. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I broke up with her because they are crazy, that sort of idea. Um, and yeah, we, we see this all the time and it's it's upsetting how accepted it is. Like it's okay to say that. So today, <laughs> people use that today yeah. and everybody just kind of like, oh, really? It's 2020, mm-hmm. stop it. Yeah. And it is very difficult to talk about the horror genre without talking about a thriller, psychological genre, or erotic thriller, um, which does include like stalker girl, overzealous fangirls, and even overly obsessive mothers. So, yeah, just brace yourself. (laughs) All of that's coming. (laughs) Um, And we did. Hey, I'm holding to some of our older traditions. Want to define what some say psycho bitch girl means. And according to one Urban Dictionary definition, it is a woman who's hormonal. It's not a typo. I'm not mispronouncing it. Apparently, this means normal for whore behaviors. Again, according to Urban Dictionary. Yeah, I was like, what? Um, And this is an imbalanced, troublesome upbringing or a current brain chemistry renders her irrational, angry, and prone to acts of violence. For example, this dude, I'm going to say this dude because the way they wrote it was very specific in this example mm-hmm. of, like, throwing my $3,400 widescreen HDTV through the window. <laughs> I don't know why that was the example, but apparently that is the example of Psycho Bitch Girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I, when I was thinking about this, I keep thinking about, and we're going to talk about this, but like how a lot of times these movies, don't get me wrong, the woman in them is doing things, violent things or, or whatever, but the man still has usually done something pretty badly as well. Right. Um, but, you know, it's, oh, she threw my TV out the window because she found out I actually have a wife and I've been lying to her or right. whatever, you know. Right. That's when we very sort of forget that part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and also, and I want to revisit this maybe towards the end, I would just keep in mind as we're talking about these, like imagine the roles are flipped right. or imagine... The, the, like, man is the stalker. I feel like that has such a different vibe. It's much more threatening in a physical way as opposed to, I feel like, with a lot of these we're talking about today with women, it's much more threatening in a sexual, she's imbalanced, in quotes, way. And if you actually look at, and we will look at it deeper, a majority of these uh, psycho bitch tropes, the anger is pointed to another woman. Yeah, yeah. Again, a whole I was trying to remember... I was trying to remember the Beyonce one. Wasn't she Obsess, one? Obsession. Yes, with Ali oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we don't that, talk about that movie, but that definitely came up as a, of an example as well. Yes, yes. Um, 
So I, I would just keep all of those things in mind and we go over some of these examples. All right, so the first movie we want to talk about, we've mentioned above, is Fatal Attraction. I feel like this is the iconic standard when it comes to erotic thrillers and psycho bitch trope, which, by the way, every single article mentions Fatal Attraction that I looked at. I'm sure. Um, probably, again, one of the best-known movies uh, for this. In this 1987 film, we have main character Dan Gallagher, played by Michael Douglas, who was in several of these types of movies, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, who has an illicit affair with Alex Forrester, played by Glenn Close. So if you're like Annie and haven't seen this film, a quick rundown. Uh, they have an affair. He pretty much drops her. She starts doing things like stalking, faking a pregnancy, boiling a rabbit, kidnapping, and trying to kill the wife because all that she wants is to have a baby with Dan. And of course, a family. Cue Ace of Base music, which Annie also doesn't know. Nope. <laughs> I sang this to her not no too idea. long ago. I was like, you've never heard of this movie? I mean, this song? Nope. You've never heard this song? That was very sad. Mm -mm. <laughs> so after trying to kill the wife, she gets shot by the wife and everything is hunky-dory. Uh, though according to reports and interviews with Glenn Close, the original intent was to show the callousness of Dan's dismissal of his mistress and the breakdown of Alex's life in psychopathy, but it later was dwindled down to showing how, quote, crazy and over-the-top Alex was and made Dan more of the victim. Yeah, and I, uh, yeah, I haven't seen this movie um, I didn't know that his wife killed yeah. him. And you're right. That is a very... He didn't even take responsibility in heavy quotes. Yeah, even for, their whole time together at the very beginning, the premise of the movie is that he understands it as a one-night stand. She obviously understands it as a one-night stand, but she refused to let it go. Oh, oh, oh. That always annoys me when it's like, it, it can't be that... <laughs> you you miscommunicated yeah, or whatever. You didn't know my intention. But like, she might change her mind and now she wants kids. Oh my right. God, I've got to get out of here. Right. <laughs> this is a crazy bitch. All I want to do is sleep with you and leave you. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah throwing around that crazy bitch right. as just to dismiss that a woman could have legitimate emotions or change her mind right. or want something that you don't want and maybe mis misrepresented. All that to say, I don't think Glenn Close, I haven't seen this movie. I'm not uh, justifying her actions. I'm just saying it's interesting the way that comes up a lot in non-murderous situations. Oh, right, right. <laughs> so, back to another... Uh, we've been talking about Stephen King a lot lately. He's got a lot of things. Hmm. So, Misery. We're talking about Misery, which I've never seen, but I have read the book. Um, and this is a, yeah, Stephen King classic. Um, apparently, Stephen King proclaimed it to be one of his favorite adaptions of his books for film. And right now, it's the only one to win an Oscar thanks to the incredible performance by Kathy Bates. So for a quick rundown of this one, we have uh, romance author Paul Sheldon, played by James Kahn, and Annie Wilkes, played by Kathy Bates, a seemingly kind nurse uh, who finds Paul after a car accident in which he has broken his legs and dislocated his shoulders. Uh, she brings him to her home under the guise that she is a good Samaritan. She's going to nurse him back to health. She then proceeds to let him know that she is his, quote, number one fan. And due to her kindness, he allows her to read the newest manuscript for his popular series based on his character, Misery Chastain. Unfortunately, though, for him, uh, she hates the ending, 
And all this bad stuff ensues. <laughs> and I know I've said this before, but I feel like every Stephen King book is about Stephen King in one way or right. another. So this is a fear that he has. Well, he said that when he uh, wrote this, he got the inspiration when he fell asleep on the plane. And, so, and like, I think he had been met by someone about how much we, they liked the book or something, and he fell asleep on the plane, and this is his dream of what ha- could have happened. Oh, Wow. <laughs> Well, lucky for him, it didn't because apparently, you know, Annie and Kathy Bates' character um, demands a new book in which he brings misery back to life. This is what fan fiction is for. You could do it yourself. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> we see the overall levels she is willing to go to save her favorite character. Everything from drugging him, breaking his ankles, killing a police officer. After complying and writing a new book, he tricks her into a celebration where a violent struggle occurs and he bashes her head in and makes an escape. Uh, This movie does show a little struggle of the overall trauma he has gone through with the post scene of him being triggered. Um, So that does add a bit of depth to his character. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I'm like, he wanted to put this, again, kind of like himself about, oh, you know, these are the traumas that these people, when they do this, when they go beyond this, when they demand this. And it could be this whole story of ownership once you give to your the audience who now owns this book or who now owns mm-hmm. this content. And that's a whole other conversation we've had. But yes, of course, this homely, sweet nurse ends up losing right. it and uh, has to die for it in the end. Well, that's interesting too, because I was imagining if, if it was a female writer, a woman writer, and a man tormentor, it just becomes, it's less about breaking gender norms, which is troubling in itself mm-hmm. because, like, it's still scary and it's still bad, but it doesn't feel as, like, weird. Right. So, and that's part of the reason our authors do this intentionally, I would imagine, a lot of the time is you don't suspect that an older woman will do this, a kind nurse woman, which, yeah, is kind of troubling that I guess we've sort of held up our hands and said, yeah, men can be aggressive. Yeah. And that's not so out of the norm of reality. But for women, they're crazy. They're crazy bitches. And And please know I'll keep saying this, but it's the whole, again, theme of this. Yes, and we we are going to talk about parts of that, Um, for sure. And uh, another uh, movie, which I actually forgot about until I started researching this, is The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, um, which was released in 1992 and plays on so many tropes and had a lot of mixed reviews. In one article, the critic stated this movie was a movie that asked the audience, quote, not to think, but to react, uh, which the critic said was difficult even for the current time frame in the 90s. Uh, So the plot, it all begins with the main character, Claire Bartell, who was pregnant with her second child, going to a new obstetrician where she's molested by the doctor, Dr. Mott. Um, After she reports him to the police, several other women come forward alleging the same type of abuse. He then shoots himself rather than getting arrested, leaving behind his wife, Mrs. Mott, played by Rebecca de Mornay, who was pregnant at the time. After losing everything due to the incident, Mrs. Moth loses the baby as well. She then proceeds to plan her revenge against the main accuser, Claire Bartell. Um, at this point, she 
gets hired by Claire as a nanny under a pseudonym, of course, uh, in, in which she then tries to ruin Claire's family and her life by manipulating the older daughter and turning her against her family, breastfeeding the newborn, causing it to imprint, is that how they said it, on her, um, and trying to seduce the husband, which doesn't work because, you know, he's a great guy. And then by killing her best friend, who, by the way, is Juliana Moore. Oh, really? Yeah, I was like, oh, I didn't realize she was in this movie um, because she was figuring it out. So if you haven't already guessed it, yes, dear uh, Mrs. Mott gets killed um, Mm -hmm. accidentally by the wife who figures everything out. And that's the end of that. And (laughs) that's the end of the movie. And then the family lives happily ever after. So it just has this like whole level of like victim blaming, sexual assault, like this whole fear of losing babies and having babies Mm -hmm. and taking families. It's got a lot in there. And you kind of like sit there. And it's been a very long time since I've seen it. But they have this whole like plague of like, these are the things you should be afraid of. And this is what happens to motherhood and loss of things. And you need to be careful what you say. It's a very Mm -hmm. weird kind of mixed ideas. And like I said, there was a lot of mixed reviews of like, is this a good movie? Is this a bad movie? What's <laughs> happening? But Rebecca De Mornay's uh, performance was actually amazing and very frightening. So she did a good job on that one. Yeah. I haven't seen that, but intriguing. Um, I haven't... Okay, I, we're about to talk about what I haven't seen, but I feel like I've seen, and that is Single White Female. I think everybody feels that way. <laughs> yes. So this one is a bit of a flip um, because it's more of an erotic thriller with homoerotic overtones. So we have Hetty. I'm going to go with yeah. Hetty, played by Jennifer Jason Lee and Allie, played by Bridget Fonda. Um, and yes, there are a lot of pop cultural references made in regards to this 1992 film. So it's definitely worth talking about. Um, here we see a different take um, as where it's not just a look at the fears women have and the harrowing tales of marital transgression, but a possible cautionary tale of female independence as well as sisterhood, or as one article says, also a story that has a lesbian phobic lair. And I would definitely, definitely agree with that, even not having seen right. it. Um, I've seen clips of it. And I remember when I was in college, I was telling Samantha, like, I just have this really funny story where my one of my best friends, because um, this was my first year of college, right? And you're making a bunch of new friends. And it so happened that she ended up in a dorm where she... I was best friends with like all of her roommates and I ended up in a dorm where she was best friend of all, all my roommates. And there was just sort of this tension. There was this weird thing there because <laughs> we both understood it, but we never really talked about it. And we used to joke about like, don't single white female. <laughs> like, <laughs> try to replace me. Um, but okay, back to the movie. Here we see a very traumatized woman, Hetty, whose twin sister drowned at the age of nine, um, coming into Allie's life, uh, who after finding out her fiancé had cheated on her and then um, being professionally and sexually taken advantage of by a rich man, needed to find a new roommate. Single white female. Mm-hmm. Um, enter Hetty, who slowly changes her physical appearance to mimic Allie's, as well as impersonating her at different locations and overall trying to become her. We quickly see things unravel, and Hetty is trying to control and manipulate Allie by hiding things from her, as well as impersonating her, which eventually leads to Hetty killing several people and trying to get Allie to take her own life as well. Um, the boyfriend's death scene includes a stiletto. Oh, yeah. This is kind of... I, I remember because it became an iconic thing where people were like, oh, my God, how do you kill someone with that? Yeah, she used a stiletto to kill the boyfriend. 
Of course. Of course. Um, if you're going to wear stilettos, then make it a weapon. <laughs> always make it a weapon. Um, after the death of Hetty, we see a little more uh, depth with Allie sympathizing with Hetty and stating that part of Hetty, whose real name we find out is Ellen, um, of her issues, that she had survivor's guilt from the death of her twin, which caused that type of trauma. Right. And, and the more we talked, like, the more I researched it, the more I looked at it, yeah, there was this whole overall, this is why this movie is very problematic. They love yeah. gay men, but really were afraid of lesbians and hear these things. Mm-hmm. And it, it does have this whole thing. And we're going to talk about that a little deeper, the sexualization within these movies. But it's interesting to get really into, like, yeah, what what is wrong with people? Yeah, during this time period, I feel like there was a lot, and this still happens for sure, but I feel like there was a glut of, like, lesbian-phobic, bi-phobic messaging, or, I mean, it's still phobic, but, like, I can turn her, like, those, like, chasing Amy type things. Yeah, but Um, definitely, and it was a comedy as well as horror, so it's one or the other that is made fun of or being afraid of. And we're going to talk about that a little more, but... It is interesting to note this is one of those movies that they talk about. Um, And then another movie, which I don't think I've ever actually watched. I just remember hearing a lot of it. Oh, you've actually seen this one, (laughs) which is Gone Girl. It's not necessarily a horror, but it is a psychological thriller and trying to like piece together what's happening. Um, But again, I didn't want to mention it because this also reversed the trope a little bit from wife being the victim to wife being the mastermind and being the psycho bitch character instead of the innocent that's just walking and watching it or being victimized by the psycho bitch. For the plot, we see the picture-perfect couple, which comes crumbling down as Amy, played by Rosamund Pike, uh, appears missing and a case is open due to her disappearance and possible death. All the while, Nick, played by Ben Affleck, is trying to prove his innocence as evidence starts to mount against him and he's suspected of foul play. Here, we see things unravel from flashbacks of the relationship to his eventual cheating, of course. Uh, And then we are clued in as Nick tries to get answers that Amy has been plotting against him in order to punish him for his misdeeds, including framing him for her own murder and accusing him of assault and abuse. It eventually falls apart, and she returns home, blaming an ex for all of the events. Also, they remain Mm -hmm. together as she has artificially inseminated herself with Nick's sperm and is now pregnant with his baby, and they remain together unhappily ever after. (laughs) Well, it is interesting because... She, yeah, she goes from, oh, she's the victim and we're trying to figure out this mystery to, no, she did it because he was a terrible husband, right, essentially. Right. Um, but it does show, it's one of the few examples on here, I think, where it's like, you don't ever, they're both almost equally guilty. I know some people would be mad at me for saying that because clearly she did kill somebody. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean that in terms of how we are, the viewer right. is like, it's not like they're like, look, Nick is so perfect. Right. and She's clearly crazy. Right. Um, and then in the end, he's sort of complicit. Like, they, it's it's hard to describe, right. I guess. But um, this also, this movie is one of the funniest uh, meetings I've ever had in my life was when this just came out. And we were talking about... Um, because, you know, it was like, you can see Ben Affleck's penis if you pause it at the right <laughs> spot. And we were talking about this, and one of our coworkers, Matt, who some of you might know from other podcasts we do, but is like the sweetest, literal sweetest person I know. Um, he was looking around at us kind of confusedly, and then he said, wait, are we talking about his dog right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Matt. Like, yep. 
Oh, it was so funny. And then we had somebody on the phone and he like was like, everybody shut up. And he was like, hey, hey, Tyler on the phone. They're talking about Ben Affleck's dog. <laughs> yeah, sorry. For <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, but <laughs> anyway, so here in this example, we see the psycho bitch trope being used as a payback revenge con that makes the adulterer pay not by the jilted lover, but by the angry wife. Um, there is a lot of debate of whether or not this character is another stereotype of an angry bitch who lies about being assaulted and manipulative, and the poor husband is the victim once again. This this also comes up, this was one of the first times I heard cool girl. Yes. Because she has a whole monologue about being the cool girl. Um, it does seem to be portrayed differently in the book. I read the book, but I can't recall. Um, but anyway, would you see the male character being a lot more misogynistic than in the movie? I I do think I did like him better in the movie. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, but her overall callousness and evil does seem to ask for sympathy um, for the poor fool. <laughs> for you don't like my word. Don't. <laughs> don't. Don't. Uh, uh, portrayed by Ben Affleck. Right. <laughs> I mean, he does seem to have that clueless face. I do remember seeing the scenes and he just has a clueless face the entirety of the movie. So that's pretty much... Is yeah, that correct? His whole role in that is just looking confused <laughs> and like realizing he's screwed. <laughs> um, and yes, there are so many other examples, especially in the 90s. Maybe that's why I know so much about them. This is my era. And because it's just such a big theme at that point, uh, which includes Basic Instinct, which has that big seduction scene we know of with Sharon Stone and Michael Douglas. And of course, the icicles. So I don't know if you've... Well, is it that's how she murdered people. Oh, it was an ice pick. I think it was an ice pick. I think I got that one wrong. Okay. I was like, icicle would have been so much smarter. It just melts away. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Is that right? Y'all, listeners, tell me. I know I could look this up, but I'd rather you tell me if you actually saw this movie. I can't <laughs> quite remember. Either it's the ice pick or an icicle. Um, and then The Crush, which uh, is a movie about a teenage crush going wrong with Alicia Silverstone and Carrie Elways. Uh, it, someone had actually written a whole article about it and how much they loved her character just because they were talking about how, as a 14-year-old, how much do you have to love and how much confidence do you have in, in yourself that you would just go after people like that? And I was like, okay. Hmm. Okay. Uh, but, but kind of a Take. turn. Um, uh, uh-huh. And man, just seems women wanting sex makes them crazy. That seems like that's the theme here. If women want sex or if women have sex, it makes them crazy. Yeah. according to all these movies. And, uh, and of course, we're going to talk a little more about that. But yeah, it definitely is this theme that th- goes throughout. And speaking of themes, we are not done with this. Oh, no. But first, we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So, yeah, while we were researching, um, we did find a few honorable mentions, I guess. Not uh, necessarily the main characters who were seen as the psychopathic girl or girlfriend. Um, So, we wanted to go over a handful of those. Right. Um, And honestly, this one shocked me and I wanted to talk about it with you a little bit. But in Harry Potter, they actually actually named Bellatrix. Uh, Yeah. yeah, Yes, you could consider definitely a psychopathic evil. But uh, because it's fantasy you know, like children's fantasy on top of that, mm-hmm. I didn't see that as much. It's not what you typically think. Um, also, she wasn't anybody's partner necessarily. Like she was a doting like servant mm-hmm. more so than anything else. What do, you, what do you think? 
Well, I'm assuming that this all comes from The Cursed Child. Oh, um, is that what it is? Spoiler alerts, anybody who doesn't want to know. Uh, yeah, she is with Voldemort in uh, Cursed Child. And she's like so desperate to be with him and to serve him and um, give him whatever he wants uh, that she sires his child. Um so that he can have an heir, even though oh. I was like, but doesn't he think he's never going to die? Um, I thought he was dead. He is. He is. There's flashbacks. There's like a whole time travel oh, thing in this. Okay. All right. Yeah. So that would make a lot more sense because I was like, what? She's not dead. They did such yeah. a great job in the movies and the books before. And yes, I'm very sad about talking about this. So put a little, you know, asterisk on this one. Yes. Yeah. This has been tainted for me. But that to put them in such a, not like, it's not, Sexual? Yeah. That I didn't think of it that way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, and I might be ruined by all of my reading of fan fiction, but if all of my reading of fan fiction is correct, and you all know I don't look for romance, a lot of people did interpret her relationship as borderline, at least borderline. I guess it's almost like worshiping someone so much that if he had said we're together, she would have been like, okay. Um, you know I what I mean? Like anybody would have said that. Like anybody who serves him, they would never have said no. Like if it was a man, woman. Uh, but she would have been proud of it. She would yeah. have been honored. That's fair. That's fair. Um, she does want to be chosen by him and does stick to him. Yeah. Um, and I do remember the scene where, you know, Molly calls him calls her a bitch. So yeah. fair enough. Um, and then another mention is Wedding Crashers, Amy Fisher's character, who is more of the comedic take and to me seems a little bit like fit into the pixie manic girl, but definitely does fit the whole, what is it, guy getting in trouble genre movies where they have to have that one girl who's stalking them, you know, and oh my God, yeah. look at this crazy girl. So yeah, she definitely was one of the big mentions. Well, that's an interesting aspect of it too, is when you talk about something like that, which is more comedic, um, the idea that there's almost an air of, I am so attractive or I'm so worth having that, of course, I have almost groupies. Right. That you've got to have one following you around, and it's funny. Like, it's a marker of, I don't know, being a virile, yes. attractive man. Yes. The women can't resist you. Right. Um, and then there's Girl Interrupted, Angelina Jolie. Oh, I read that book, but it was a long time ago. Um, I did a project on it in high school, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, and this whole thing, and we're going to come back and talk about this a little bit more, I know, but um, you can debate it was trivializing or romanticizing mental health needs. And I think that's one of the reasons I chose it. Like, when you're in that sort of melancholy, poetic, or I'm not going to say everyone goes through the stage, but a lot of people do when you're in high school and you're kind of being all sad. Right. And that this, I thought, was like, oh, look, how beautiful sadness can be, which I know right. is very problematic, and I've I've grown, <laughs> listeners. We've, yeah, but that's the thing is, so get what it's what gets fed to us and believe yeah. what this is. Right, right. Um, but yes, definitely Angelina Jolie's character. I could see fitting that trope, and then Friday the Thirteenth, um, which spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> the mom is actually the serial killer in this one, and. I knew this before I even saw Friday the 13th because it's the question that trips up Drew Barrymore in Scream when oh. the, the serial killer was asking her, like, who's the killer? 
she got the answer wrong because everyone assumes it's Jason. Right. Because the rest of the series it is. But it's actually Jason's mom who wants revenge for these camp counselors who were having sex. Yes. And not watching her child. And he drowned in Crystal Lake. Um which, by the way, is in Portal to Hell, and the FBI comes in and sends Jason to space, because obviously... Uh, <laughs> what? I've seen all of these now. And yeah, they get I think very strange. about this. Um, but anyway, um, this is also uh, kind of a play on the always blame the mother trope. Right. Because um, she turned out to be the serial killer. Usually you're blaming the mother for this male serial killer's actions, but in this case, she actually was the serial killer. And actually in Scream 2, the, spoiler alert, uh, the killer in that one, Billy Loomis's mom from the first one, Billy Loomis from the first one, um, she, I'm pretty sure they purposefully cast someone who looks like the mother in Friday the 13th to kind of pay an homage to that. Yeah, Scream definitely likes to do tongue-in-cheek homages. Yeah. To other yeah. horror movies, which is fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, by the way, I watched Urban Legend talk about homages, and f- the main guy who plays Freddy is in it to teach oh. his urban legends. And I forgot that. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't seen Urban Legends, in- and it's bad. It's, it's really bad. But so I watched it again last night, but I was just like, what is this? <laughs> um, anyway, another uh, comedy version of the psycho bitch trope is My Super Ex Girlfriend. Which is not really a popular movie, but I just remember thinking, what is this? Uh, And here we have Uma Thurman being a superhero who is heartbroken and becomes vengeful. And as it says in one article, becomes more neurotic as her relationship with Luke Wilson's character ends. Um, And this one is supposed to be a comedy again, like I said, and does have a flip at the end where the women are the heroes making a difference and, you know, stopping crime while the male partners are you know, sitting back, holding their purses, waiting for them to come back. So it does have that little flip, and then it's definitely tongue-in-cheek, but it starts with, what if your ex-girlfriend, who you see is crazy and clingy, which is what they describe her as, um, has superpowers, mm-hmm. you know, and then it goes right. into this. So it's like, take take what you know is already a bad trope and add a lot more uh, power and danger because she is so strong now, yeah. which could be said, but like, yeah, that's what happens when we talk about men having too much power and being mm-hmm. a lot more stronger than you. Maybe that's what it looks like. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then we, we did want to mention Carrie, which we already talked about in our episode on why are periods so terrifying? Um, but I wanted to add here both the mother and daughter we're on the list uh, for, we had kind of two different quotes, two different types of quote, psycho. Uh, you got religious and tortured. And I suppose while we're at it, we could mention psycho. Right. Um, the mom and psycho who also, well, I guess she's not the serial killer. She's not the serial killer. He has a dual personality because of the abuse that he'd suffered, but it's That's not right. her. That's right. It's not I her. I forgot about that. But if you want to talk about the fear of women and sex, uh, the main yeah. female character is running away, I believe, because of an affair. And so she kind of has to pay yeah. in the end yeah. for her sexuality yeah. and yep. guilt. And then uh, one last one we wanted to mention and we spoke about a little bit earlier is the audition. And oh my God, <laughs> this one haunts me. And I blame Annie and my partner for not telling me what kind of movie this was. But yes, uh, it would play on the traumatized and victimized with unresolved mental health issues that turns someone violent and irrational. And yeah, I was not expecting this. And it is a Japanese film. It's a lot about torture 
and I didn't yeah. know this. Um, <laughs> and even the trauma was like, oh my God, why? So yeah. I wasn't ready because I don't love slasher films. So I think I already mentioned that. I don't like torture films. I hate it. I've never seen any of the Saw. I don't have, I've never seen Hostel. I don't mm-hmm. like it. I think yeah. it's disgusting and nothing about this. Like, yes, people love like the horror aspect of being like, oh my God, what if this happens to you? I don't need to see it. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't expecting it. So when I came across, I was like, I think the first question uh, when I had met Annie a couple of years ago was like, hey, what are your favorite horror films? Because, you know, she's a horror movie buff. Of course mm-hmm. I, I need to know. And she put this at the top of her list. I was like, cool, cool, cool. I'll watch it. She's like, yeah, yeah, you should watch it. And I watched it. I think I started texting you. I'm like, what the hell yeah. is wrong with you? What <laughs> yeah. have you done to me? Well, okay. To be fair to me, I don't think I brought it up. I think your partner brought it up and I was like, that's a really good movie. But I hadn't seen it in so long and I totally forgot about <laughs> what it's all about. And I rewatched it after your horrified text. And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> this is pretty messed up. And for um, me, for me watching horror movies like this, I have to finish it or it lingers with me. Like something about yeah. not finishing it yeah. just causes more nightmares for me. So I had right. to finish it and I was so unhappy. <laughs> yeah. And you know, like... This movie is probably one of the ultimate examples of what we're talking about because right. it's it's got the like she's an ex, she's got this abuse, and then there's torture. Um, and again, he kind of he played her. He totally the main male character totally played her and used her, but uh, she she got her some revenge for sure. Yeah. I guess yeah. you could include the American version of the Grudge too, right? Because she was sort of a well, that's kind of when we were talking about the mother or even like the supernatural level of what's going yeah. on, of who's blaming what and what comes out. Right. Like, it, yeah. And this is kind of what we were talking about. You like the pre... No, I like the pre-hauntings and you like the aftermath. So like, yeah, yeah, like these the are the things that would have happened. <laughs> but the beginning part is awful. Like seeing them, how right. they got murdered, how they got stalked, how they got that. And then, but instead... like So it is definitely... I think that's how we kind of... Put the or line. The line, like, yeah. 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 Or the metric, I guess. But yeah, but for sure, this is definitely one of those movies that plays on every single one of this trope. Not only do you play on the innocent, sweet girl who he has to have because she seems so innocent and pure, but then turns out yeah. she's not so innocent and pure and she yeah. wreaks havoc. Yes. Oh, yes, she does. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, so we've covered a lot of ground, but we did want to talk about some some themes in these movies. But before we do that, we're going to pause for one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So one of the big themes in these movies is revenge. (laughs) And almost every single one we talked about, in fact, uh, we see this theme of revenge. Um, and we've talked about women before, uh, women in revenge films, and we've talked about the ins and outs of revenge films and how women are portrayed in these films. Um, I know I've talked about before, I generally don't like revenge movies, even though it seems that I play a lot of revenge video games, and when I write, I write a lot of revenge, so I don't know mm-hmm. what that's all about. But I did. A, I watched a lot of them for this research, and I have to say, like two or three of them haunt me. Um, and not in a bad way, necessarily. They're the ones written and directed by women. Um, right. And I think that's why it's, it felt more true and in that way more, like, painful. Like, my heart hurts. Because um, when you're talking about, like, rape and revenge, there's just this awful traumatic thing. And look at 
the outcome of it. Right. Um, but, uh, I mean, as is the case in a lot of these things, the revenge doesn't often match the ensuing actions these women take. Um, one article said that if scorned or mistreated, quote, she then ends up trying to exact revenge, becoming obsessed, sometimes even murderous. No matter what direction a film takes, it is clear the woman is meant to be seen as, in quotes, uh, crazy. The use of this trope has been heavily critiqued, not only because of its portrayal of women, but how it connects to stereotypes about mental health. It invalidates women's behavior and real mental health struggles by simply reducing the person to being crazy. When a woman is deemed crazy, she is dismissible and irrelevant. And yeah, that is a really big discussion within these movies. Like, the very trope, it's right there. Um, why does over-dramatizing and stereotyping of mental health make the plot of these films and continue to cause damage in open conversation of these mental health issues? And I actually think this is a problem in horror at large because a right. lot of times the twist is somebody has a mental health issue. Right. Or that's why they're doing whatever it is that they're doing, whatever nefarious thing they're doing, which is problematic. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little more in depth about it later at the end of this because it's definitely something we we need to cover and have a continued conversation because as much as we enjoy being scared or as much as we uh, see this plot as something that brings along the movie, it is problematic and we have yeah. to be able to fr confront that. But uh, yeah. on top of that, we also wanted to talk about motherhood um, as a theme. And if you couldn't tell, many of the films and characters have some type of criticism of either being a mother, not being a mother, or wanting to be a mother. Uh, Specific to the movie Fatal Attraction, one article written by Amanda Hess, she writes, When Glenn Close's 36-year-old book editor has a one-night fling with Michael Douglas's happily married attorney, Dan Gallagher, Dan expects the cool girl, which we talked about with Gone Girl, um, independent Alex to remain discreet. Instead, her biological clock goes berserk and she cuts her wrist, incessantly calls his home, announces she's pregnant, throws acid on his car, boils his kid's perfect bunny, abducts his perfect child, and attempts to stab his perfect housewife. And at the film's end, the perfect wife shoots the psycho bitch in the heart by killing Alex and, in parentheses, her gestating fetus. The film restores the sanctity of the perfect family. Or as Susan Fowley wrote of the message in her 1991 book, backlash, the best single woman is a dead one. So we see over and over again, whether we look at the protective mothers like comedies and Monster-in-Law, which is a Jennifer Lopez, Jane Fonda movie, or grieving mothers like the uh, Hand That Rocks the Cradle or Friday the 13th, or even manipulative mothers, we see the same theme over and over again about how this yeah. causes them to be, or the lack of, or any of this is why they're psycho, as they like right. to say it. Right, and existing outside of being independent and not needing a man. Right. And then that making you, quote, crazy. Right. Um, yeah, because uh, it's threatening the patriarchal system we all Every live time. in. Uh, we also wanted to talk about sex and sexiness, which is a very broad theme uh, that, yeah, we could talk about pretty much in anything we talk about in right. media. Um, but we couldn't ignore the obvious trope of femme fatales and their use of sex and sexiness to gain entry to someone's life, into someone's life, or, or just as a way of meeting. Um, in fact, a majority of films with psychopathic women seem to fall under the exotic thriller genre as well, um, which allows for the movie to talk about the horror of women having or enjoying sex uh, without giving too much credit or sexual identity for women. Uh, movies like Basic Instinct, and though we didn't talk about it earlier, um, Swim Fan and Jennifer's Body, which is a really wonderful movie. I actually really like that one. Um, 
continue to exploit female bodies in the idea of their usefulness. And for the world of femme fatales, Abby Bender writes, in the world of erotic thrillers, sex is a tool and revenge is always an option. Right. And many articles have been written about the biphobic and overall lesbian-phobic representations of the characters within these, this trope and genre. Again, using basic instinct as the example, the relationship between character Catherine and Roxy, uh, we see the relationship through the male gaze and is often portrayed as merely objects to, quote, arouse the male viewer, as an article from The Bitch Flick states. Uh, the author continues and writes, though many directors specifically male, male directors, don't necessarily mean to objectify their characters. Quote, their female characters are shown to have some charming qualities, but in the, in the end, they're promiscuous and manipulative and never to be trusted. Yes. And this reminded me of something I totally forgot about. But um, so there was this thing I, at work back when Kristen, uh, past host and creator Kristen, when I did the video, she did one, a parody of this thing called the Crazy Hot Matrix. Um, which many of you probably have heard of from, uh, I believe it was on How I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but that th- this was a video that a man, uh, like a man made and legitimately believed that the more beautiful a woman is, the hotter she is, the more crazy she is. And he had this graph. Yeah. And um, when we made the parody of it, this was the one that got me doxxed. Um, people, they were so mad about it. And I, I was like, it, we're, clearly we're joking, but also this video is a real thing that exists. Um, but the fact that that was the one that got me docs, I think is very telling when it comes to this trope and how we do view women still as like, you, yeah, you, you can have sex with this crazy hot woman, but she don't forget she's crazy and you don't want to marry her. Because that was the right. point. Like you wanted to marry a five and have sex with a 10. Right. Um, and all of this is offensive. I don't agree with any of it. I hope that's clear. Right. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. This is definitely like pickup artists' charts, too. They they really saw the character Barney as being an icon for them. So yeah. I could absolutely see you being raked over the coals by them, for sure. It was wild. We had to get security guards. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. <laughs> so we, uh, we did want to talk about this stigma with mental health and women. Um, so we've given... Some examples, there are so many, but we've given some of the psycho bitch trope in the horror thriller genre and how it has slowly been changing throughout the years, but not necessarily as fast as you you might expect with uh, the growing feminist movements and just discussions around mental health. However, we did want to talk about the overall ableist idea behind the genre and usage of the term crazy and psycho bitch. Um, And though we won't go into the history of the language because we have done that before, We did want to look at the continued stigma uh, tropes like these perpetuate and the damage they cause. As one article said, quote, the trope of the psycho bitch is something that oppresses women and people with mental illnesses simultaneously. In it, writer Joanne Chu talks about the dangers of how these tropes not only maintain the negative stereotypes, but continue to negate the legitimacy of violence against women with disabilities. She writes, When they experience violence because they are seen as crazy or because they are not able to understand or communicate what happened to them, their attackers are rarely brought to justice. And this is a big conversation for us, as we uh, recently discussed in our Violence Against Women episode, on how vulnerable we make uh, people in the disabled community feel when we allow such ableist representation to be mainstream. Right, and I think it was legitimately calling out the fact that when we have these things saying it's their fault, 
that people no longer believe them. So they have all of these hurdles already, just being able to say whether they're not able to communicate with people or whether they're not able to prove something, all of these things. But to have this other part of, yeah, but, but what did you do? But you're mm-hmm. you're crazy. You can't even talk about it because whatever, right. whatnot. And she even, she even gave an example of uh, a client she had who stated that she did not want to report rape because she would have to name off the medications she has and the side effects, and that alone could discredit her. So you have all of these things already happening, and then you have movies like this that perpetuate and literally uses uh, their trauma as a blurb and then blame them for all the things. And don't get me wrong, all these things are bad, but it's also unrealistic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The violence that these women supposedly portray, but at the same time, how that term crazy psycho bitch uses that connotation. That's what lingers over them about a person. So no matter what this crazy may be, and it's not okay to say that at all, but it just referenced to the worst idea of the psycho bitch trope. Yeah. But yeah, and beyond that, we look at the other side of that coin. You're welcome. Um, as, as that it portrays people diagnosed with mental health issues as violent and unhinged and dangerous, which again places a mistrust and an ugly, shameful stereotype for those diagnosed, um, which is, as another uh, article from Bitch Flick talks about, which films continue to use as shock factor portions of this fictional entertainment that again leads to misconceived stereotypes and, and again yeah. silences people who mm-hmm. have these issues and who are living with this and are able to maintain. Right. These are things that are being completely dismissed. And, and again, it's kind of that same level when we talk about mass shootings, when we talk about uh, the dangers that have happened and people who have, where we have had incidents and just being saying it's a mental health thing and just categorizing it like that. And it's yeah. so dangerous because that's not what pushed them <laughs> right. to this volatile state. Just because they have a diagnosis does not mean they're going to do this. And to label it like that and to put a headline like that once again leads to this awful stereotype and and an awful um, misconception, which Mm -hmm. is being popularized by a lot of films like this. Yeah. And that's it's really brazen, too, to say that and then offer no, like, mental health, like, funding. Like, not even to do that. Yeah, the U.S. thinks so little of actually treatment. Yeah. That, but yeah, we're going to say it like that. Right. And I mean, this whole trope has especially been weaponized against women. I mean, every word in it, I feel like crazy, psycho, bitch, to dismiss um, women. And um, I was thinking about that song, that recent song, like, yeah, she's sweet, but she's psycho. Like, it's right. everywhere. Um, right. And that's kind of that whole term for a pixie manic girl. It's that same level of the cute, Manic girl. It's kind of that yeah, whole level of yeah. like, okay, why are you celebrating? And also, this is not a thing. Stop it. <laughs> that is our <laughs> message. <laughs> stop, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. So, yeah, that's an overview of this trope that we see. Um, there's a lot to unravel here, clearly. Um, and just years and years and years of how women are perceived in in our entertainment and in our culture. Um as usual, this is just the tip of the iceberg. So if there's something you want us to focus in on, uh, let us know, please. Or if there's an example we missed you think we should talk about, send it our way. Um, and you can do that at our email, which is stuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram at Stuff I'm Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thanks, Andrew. 
And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.